Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Uh, it is actually John sixteen thirty three, which says, um, "These things in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have." overcome uh, this world. Uh, How that is manifest, sometimes we are unsure. How that looks, uh, we deal in brokenness and hurt all the time. And so as we uh, continue on in this service, which is called the the journey back, and if you hadn't had a chance to listen to uh, uh, the first two parts, I encourage you to do so. We do have them uh, on the website. Uh, But I want to talk today about the journey back from heartbreak, hurt, and um, habits. Have you, have you ever um, uh, broken a bone? You know, kind of wave at me, even if you're online, give me a wave. There's only a few of us that have broken a bone. Well, I'll say this. This is the one thing I have found about broken bone, that whenever I have asked that question, there has never, buddy, never really been anybody who said, well, let me check and see. I think I can't remember. I may have broken my leg back then. Now, you don't remember that because no matter how long ago it was, you remember if you have broken a bone because it is painful. And there's something about the fact that, that there is pain um, in brokenness. Uh, I remember breaking my thumb skiing one time. And you may say, well, are you a skier? Well, no, that's probably why I broke my thumb because I'm not a skier. Um, but thank the Lord, I haven't had a whole lot of experience with broken bones. Now, I had a dislocated arm one time. You know how your arm bends this way? Well, it kind of bent that way one time. And I distinctly remember praying. (laughs) I don't know what I prayed. I just remember praying because the pain was so great. There is a a direct correlation with our memory and pain, don't you think? And I remember going to the hospital and I remember them putting a cast on and because it wasn't a break, I only had to have the cast on for three weeks. But after the three weeks, they had me go for therapy because they had to re-strengthen the muscles and they had to, to do a couple of tests and things to make sure that things were set straight and there wasn't any other kind of damage. And even despite the fact, of the, the fact that there was a couple of months of therapy after I had the cast removed, I would say that it was probably wasn't until about... Two years afterwards that my arm actually felt uh, back to normal to have the strength because it takes time to recover from hurts, particularly when the hurt is bad. And we can understand that physically, can't we? Someone gets hurt, we see the cast, we see the limp, we see the the crutches, we we see the wheelchair, uh, whatever it is there to kind of help us through. But what happens when it's not physical? Maybe it's words, or maybe it's actions, or maybe it's a major figure in our life that has let us down, or maybe our heart has been broken by an event or a situation, or we've been disappointed, and and the pain is there. And as a result, unhealthy habits come into our lives that threaten to destroy us. Um, and, And so we think in terms of physical, but sometimes it is the emotional pain that we carry with us when heartbreak and hurt takes place, perhaps, hey, I've had a front row seat to um, having people come into my office and give me some pretty heartbreaking stories, Uh, stories of marriage breakup, abusive parents, um, situations that have failed, um, sickness that has come in, divorce, breakup, 
I invested all my money in this and, and it just fell through and I'm, I'm sitting here in an older age and I have absolutely nothing. I don't know what to do and there's no physical scar, but there certainly is an emotional one and you can go on and I can deal with, talk to you about hurts and heartaches and habits and how to recover for them will determine how God is able to use you because when a bone is set, when a bone is broken, we set, we make sure that that bone is, is set in place so that it heals correctly. But do we do the same thing emotionally? Do we do the same thing spiritually? And you might be here and you might be suffering. And the thing is, a lot of people won't know. I had a friend, I had a friend who uh, broke his neck and I remember coming to, to college and seeing him and he had this, these two rods that were shooting from his shoulder and this kind of halo thing that was, that was actually screwed to his head because he had broken his neck. And so for about six months, he had to keep that apparatus on him at all times. And, um, and it was a difficult thing to watch him go through that, but it was a joyous day when all of a sudden that halo was removed from him. So what happens is there was kind of a get-together after he comes with no, with, with no medical apparatus to kind of help with the neck. And someone who had forgotten about the situation said, hey, how's it going? And slaps him on the back. And he screams out in pain. And that person felt terrible. And, and uh, it, it didn't do any, uh, any long-term damage or anything. But what a dumb thing to do. What happens many times is when you're going through heartbreak, when you're going through hurt, there's no halo, there's no apparatus that says, hey, I'm hurting you, you need to take care around me. We carry these burdens and we get slapped on the back and sometimes the pain becomes too much for us to somehow take. And, and um, how do you come back from an injury which is not physical, something which breaks our heart? How? How do you deal with hurt in your life? I'll just say this. Not only does God care and desire to heal you from the hurts and the heartbreaks and deliver you from the habits that come from the hurt and the heartbreaks, but he's trying to develop something in your faith to make you strong, to make you effective. So really, what does the Bible say about hurt? What does the Bible say about heartache? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to go to? Does God even care? Well, God does care. Absolutely, the Bible is all about that. Let's just, let me just give you a couple of verses which I think are very popular that many of us might know, uh, both found in the book of Psalms. The, the one in Psalm, verse 147, uh, verse three says this, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I don't think it could be any clearer than that. He goes on and says in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you stop and consider the whole reason for the cross, the whole reason for Jesus coming to earth to die for our sins was based on the fact that there was a hurt that was created because of sin in our lives. The whole essence, the whole, the whole foundation of the gospel is based on the fact that there is pain which is caused by sin, either our sin or sin that has been committed against us. And, and so, hey, does God care about our sin? Well, he died for our sin. He, he died for the heartbreak that, uh, that we might be even enduring at this particular time. And so what I wanted to do, if I could, um, is I wanted to explain three Old Testament stories. Some 
you may have heard of. Other ones you think, I, I don't really remember that. Or, or I fight, faintly remember that. Some One or two are kind of popular. The other one or two you, you may not have, uh, have heard of really, but there's some applications. There's something that we can glean from. There's something that I think we can take home with us today. And that's my hope. That you won't sit in your pain. That you won't sit in your hurt. That somehow God will minister to you where you are at at this time. And, and at the end, I want to provide just an opportunity for those who are here in person um, just to have a time of prayer for those, for those who need it or are going through uh, a difficult time. So, hey, let's get into this. The first one is uh, the book of Genesis. Now, normally I have the scripture on the PowerPoint, but sometimes when they're longer, we're finding when you're taking a look at the online service, it's hard to jam in everything. So I'm going to kind of read it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. For those of you who don't know where the book of Genesis is, hey, it's easy. It's the very first book of the Bible, uh, chapter 11. And it tells the story of an individual whose name is Terah, who is actually the father of Abraham. And Abraham is kind of the start of God making a covenant with, with Israel. But there's some kind of interesting things. And, and for some reason, the Holy Spirit... Um, Prior to this passage of scripture, what it basically does, it talks about the lineage. And so this person gave this person, gave birth to this person, and they lived this long. And, and then that person actually gave birth to this person. The lineage, the genealogy, it begins to explain. And, and does that all along. And although it's a story about Abraham, the inspired scriptures say, let us start one generation before. And there's something I think it's important for us to hear. And so let me just start at, at, at Genesis chapter uh, 11. And it, it says this. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah came, became the father of Abram, Nor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham uh, Abraham and Nor both married. And the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nair's wife was Milcah. And she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, uh, and it says, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture, and you say, well, what's so interesting about that? Well, I believe that if God reveals something about the generation before, there might be something there that we kind of miss in the process. And sometimes we get in our devotions, we say, well, i got to read my three chapters of Scripture. And sometimes we just don't take the time to stop and observe what is actually going on. The question is this. If Abram was the one that God wanted to use to start this generation from, why does it talk about Terah? And many people believe, as they look at this passage of Scripture, that God also spoke to Terah about going to Canaan. Because Abraham would have just gone by himself. Terah is instructed that he was going as well. So either God had spoken to Terah as well, or he talked to Terah first. That the first situation was that Terah would be the person that the promise would be laid from but something had happened. The Bible basically says 
that one of his sons, Haran, which was Lot's father, died. Now, the scripture says this. One scripture, or the New International Version, basically says, well, he died during the generation of Terah, while Terah was still alive. Other renditions basically say this. He died in the presence of Terah, which basically causes you to think that actually his son died right in front of him. Now, it could be true that both of those things happened. Obviously, he died while Terah was still alive. Maybe, probably, he was there when he saw his son die. I don't know about you, but that would be my worst nightmare. That would be a very difficult situation. Try and put yourself in that situation. To watch and see something like that, and I know that there are people who have gone through that, who have seen that take place. And so, as a result of that, there's a lot of grief which takes place. How do we know that? Well, it goes to talk about the fact that the intention was for them to go to Canaan. But in 30, verse 32, it says something really, really interesting. It says, what happens was, that on their way to Canaan, what happened was they stopped in a city which is called Haran. And it says that Terah lived so many years and he died in Haran. The coincidence of this passage is this that the name of his son is the same name of the city in which he died in. So you are left, you are left with a, some concluding thoughts that not only did he die physically in the community of Haran, but he also died when his son died in Haran. He died in Haran. He died physically in the community, but he died when his son Haran had died. So it's a double tragedy, isn't it? Not only did he see his son pass away, perhaps in front of them, there are stories, and, and some are folklore, we're not too sure. But the second tragedy is this. He never got to the place where God wanted him to be. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who have died in Haran. I'm sure that you have as well. People who have been on fire for God, people who have had a purpose because there's a calling on their life. Something takes place and the grief is so heavy that they're not too sure exactly what to do. And so what they do is they sit still and they kind of linger in their grief and they kind of die in their grief. And it's a tragic thing to see. And... Um, I have met people who have been gone through incredible pain. And here's the thing about heartbreak. I have come to realize that God does not hand it out evenly. That there are some people who go through more heartbreak than others. And I have sat with people and I have heard their hearts and I have seen their bitterness. And I have, I have said, you know what? I don't know if I was in the same place if I might not do the same thing. But I've also seen people who have gone through incredible strain and incredible pain and incredible heartbreak who have had the opportunity to give it to God and have come out of it. As a matter of fact, every giant in the faith, and I use the word giant in a good term here, people who are just mighty in God, that every person who I know who is mighty in God have returned from a hurt or heartbreak. And so... The thing is this, what are you doing with the heartbreak that has happened? Is it something that has defined you? Is it something that has 
crippled you? Have you become terror? Have you, have you stopped running? Have you become bitter or better? Have you abandoned the calling and now you just exist? Letting the days go by, have you stopped or slowed your journey with God? Has the progress you had been stopped or slowed because of the pain that you are enduring? Or perhaps, or perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying something, tapping you on the shoulder. Because of this story, right now, you are recognizing that I'm Tara. And God is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you know, it's time to get up. This thing that you're going through, this accident that happened, this tragedy that has taken place in your life is not the thing that I have intended to ever define you. So I'm picking you up. I'm calling you now. Stand up. Get to the promised land. Get to Canaan. Don't die in Haran. A great story, huh? There's another one, and, and this is a more familiar character. It's David. Now, I say, David, there's a thousand stories that comes to your mind, don't you think? There's so many things that happened in David's life, good and bad, that we could, we could do a, oh, half a year's worth of studies of all the things that had happened and the lessons that we learned um, from David. But here's one that I believe shouts out to us. It's found in uh, uh, it's a Samuel. First Samuel, I believe. First Samuel, chapter 30, verses 3. Now what had happened was David and his men were out to war and they were defending the land and they were, they were growing the community of Israel. And as they come back one time from a war, they look and they see smoke coming up from the city, their community. And they come rushing in and it is the Amalekites who had come and they have stolen everything. They've taken the, the spouses, they have taken the, the children, they have taken everything. And so in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, it says this. So, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Could you imagine that? And David's two wives... Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, of the, uh, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David, it says here, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Another passage, or another translation says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Verse 7 says this, And then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring me the ephod here. And, and Abiathar brought the ephod of, to David. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now, I could not, folks, imagine that level of grief. To lose your wife, to lose your children, to lose everything. And not only that, everyone around you is suffering the same level of grief. And, and you feel that somehow you are responsible for all of this. Not only that, as David comes in, there must have been questions in his mind that the fact is, here I am, God, you've called me to be king. Here I am just trying to do the work that you have called me to do. And this is what happens. This is what is taking place in his life. These are some of the responses that he could have had. And once you 
surmise what's happened, the next question I had to myself is this. Well, how would I respond? Something like happened to you, what would you do? Well, I would get on my horse. No, I probably wouldn't because I can't ride a horse. I'm just telling you right now. Horses and the Gordon family do not get along. If you were to say to me, Pastor Mike, hey, I got some wonderful house, horses on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the farm. You want to come for a ride? And I say, well, if you have a skidoo, I'll go on the skidoo. Uh, it's the summer. I'll still go on the skidoo, even if it's the summer. I don't care. Horses and, and, and me and horses and my whole family. There's a history, folks. I'll get into it later. But what I would do, though, is I would go pursue my spouse and I would pursue my kids and I would go down to my dying breath going after them, especially if I knew that they were still alive or there was a chance of them still being alive. But if you look at this scripture, that's not what David did. It said he encouraged himself in the Lord and then he sought the Lord. Then he said, God, what do you want me to do? And here's the thing about David. David had learned by this point in his life not to put matters into his own hands. Now here's a guy who's had who's had children die, who's had a, who had a daughter who was molested, who, who has seen terrible, terrible things take place in his life. This is not his first rodeo. And what he does is says, okay, God, I need to know at this time what you want me to do. And the greatness of David is not seen in the grief and the hurt and heartbreak in his life. The greatness of David is seeing in his response to heartbreak and terrible things that happened in his life. His first step was to the Lord. And sometimes this can be hard because when God slaps us the hardest, sometimes our first response isn't to God. Sometimes our first response is, God, why have you done this? God, I'm angry that you have allowed this to take place. But that's not what David did. And, and you can see throughout the scriptures where he acknowledges things and he surrenders to them. Just take a look at, at this verse here. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. I like Psalm 71 verse 20. It says this, though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. The last series we spoke on was Psalm chapter 23. In Psalm 23 verse 4, it says, though, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say, though I avoid the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. Though I run through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I run around the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't. Though I walk through it. And that was the thing about David. He had the ability to give the hurt to God, to confront it, to not avoid it, to not make excuses, to not suppress it, to not escape from it, to not make excuses for it. Kind of like what Peter says, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. Don't let the hurt in your life Define you, detain you, or detract you from the calling that God has in your life. Hey, I noticed that you're talking about calling. Like, I always thought that calling was something that God kind of had given to missionaries and pastors. 
Well, if you believe that, you basically are saying that God has a purpose for some people and not for others. Well, no. I believe that God has a purpose for all of us. I believe that there's a calling in all of us. I think that there is a legacy that God wants to leave in all of us. And so you have to let God deal with the process of heartbreak in our lives and give it to him. There's one time in Psalm chapter 51 where David is going through a particularly tough time, a hard time as he's confronting the heartache in his life because of sin and and he says in, in Psalm 51, he says, you know what? Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. Here's the thing with truth. Truth is both terrifying and clarifying at the same time. We don't like to face truth, do we? But sometimes truth can be the most clarifying thing in our lives. It will be the thing that ultimately will cause us to come to God because it becomes clear that he's the one that we need to take these things to. David. So there's Terah. There's David. There's one more. This one is an interesting, and it, it, it comes from a, a woman named Ruth. There is a Bible uh, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, book in the Bible in the Old Testament with Ruth, and many of us have read that, that book, and there's some interesting things about it. But there's one particular passage which I think is extremely important for us to understand. And it is, it is the time where, where um, Ahimelech, a gentleman, married a, a lady named Naomi, and, and uh, because there was famine that had taken place, they moved to this place called Moab. And, and, and Moab, this seems like the, a wonderful thing to do. There's more food, more opportunity in, in Moab. And so, so what happens is they have uh, two, two kids. What happens is while they are in Moab, Ahimelech dies. The two sons marry two girls, Orpah and Ruth, but then they both die. And so all Naomi has is two daughters-in-laws, and, and she is despondent. And if you read the book, she is bitter. She's angry over all the things. She is saying, God has inflicted this upon me. I don't know what to do. And so what she decides to do is to go back to Israel, to Bethlehem, actually. And so the girls travel with them probably as far as the Dead Sea. And Ruth, or sorry, Naomi says this to them. Go back to your old country. I got nothing to offer you. I got no more sons. And even if there was a guy who came along and I were to, to have more kids, are you going to wait that long to, to, to marry those children? No, it's not going to happen. I don't do it. Just go. I'll go home by myself. And here is the verse that we hang on to at this particular time. Ruth verse 1, verse 14 says this. At this point, at this shore, they say this, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Isn't that interesting? There was two responses. One, one was to say, okay, well, I, I'll agree with you. I'll give you a hug and I'll walk away. But it says here that Ruth cleaves to her. He holds on and what she, sorry, Ruth holds on. She doesn't let go. And in doing so, not only does she hang on to Naomi, but she hangs on to the God of Naomi. And it's important to understand that. And as a result, Ruth ends up marrying Boaz, who becomes the great-grandfather of King David. That there's a legacy which is created as a result. And you say, what's so big about that? Well, the thing is, she had to hang on to God, and she had to hang on to people. 
And sometimes when difficulties happen, when everything does not go our way, I'll say that sometimes the first thing, that, the last thing we want to do is to hang on to other people, let alone hang on to God. But that's what um, Ruth had done. You ever, you ever looked at kissing in the Bible? I don't know, maybe there's a Valentine's sermon in there somewhere along the way there. But kissing in the Bible means a whole bunch of different things. When Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed with what? Kiss, kiss of betrayal. You look in the book of Proverbs, it talks about the prostitute's kiss. It talks about the enemy's kiss. David on the shore of Ephesus is a, is a departing kiss. And somewhere in Samuel, it talks about a kiss of, of reconciliation. There's so much there. So what exactly does it mean when it says that Oprah kissed um, Naomi, but Ruth had clung to her? Well, it was kind of like this. It was a kiss of affection, but not really a kiss of commitment. I really like you. I think the world of you. But you're not worth me leaving more. I'm going to go back to where I was before. Whereas Naomi was just, no, no, I, I want to have everything to do with it. And, and, and sometimes we get that verse and we think that, well, you know, Ruth needed Naomi. But if you look a little bit deeper, Naomi needed Ruth just as much as Ruth needed Naomi. This is an important thing to understand. You see, you need people on your journey back from hurt, heartbreak and habits. You need people to cleave to, not just people who will kiss you and walk away. Chances are, there are a lot of people in your life who will kiss you and walk away. Tons of them. Lots of them. I believe in our churches there are a lot of people in terms of spiritually, they will, they will kiss and walk away. They like Christianity and that, but they're not going to stay. But I believe the same thing happens in terms of hurt and heartache. There will be lots of people who will feel bad for you. There will be a lot of people who from a distance will feel terrible for you. But when it actually comes to actually lifting you up and making a difference, there are very few. And those people are very special in our lives. Because you know what? I think the biggest deterrent in spiritual health is the fact that we have become separate, private, unattached in our society, and we suffer alone, and sometimes we attach a level of spirituality to it. See, Jesus, I'm just kind of suffering on my own. It's a good thing. Well, no, it's not a good thing. I don't think that God ever intended for that to take place. And we carry too much on our own, either by loneliness or pride. And I think that perhaps the biggest deterrent in revival is that there are too many Orpas and not enough Ruths. Too many people who will embrace us and kiss us and walk away and not enough people who will love us enough to hold on to us. And perhaps it runs both ways. Maybe there are people in your life that you consider a Ruth in your life or maybe you are a Ruth to somebody else. Doesn't matter. You need people. Not only do you cling to God, but you have to have people that will hang on to you while you hold on to them. Amen? Am I not telling the truth? There's a person in scripture you may never have heard of. His name is Ishbi Benob. Anybody heard of Ishbi Benob? Maybe one or two really smart people. Ishbi Benob was a Philistine in the line of 
the Goliath family. You know, there's a particular family that kind of, they kind of grew these giants. And um, Ishbi Benov was one of them. And it talks about how mighty of a warrior is. But in this story, in 2 Samuel, um, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17, or sorry, verse 21, verse 17, it says this. They're in a war. David is fighting this guy. And it says, you know, David grew tired. And all of a sudden, Ishbi Benob said, I can beat this guy. And it took his servant, Ishbi, to come and strike him down. And you think, well, what's the big deal about that? The big deal is this. And you need to hear this. That you were not created to defeat every giant alone. Oh, there's Goliaths in there that you may defeat. But there are some giants that are impossible for you to beat on your own. And God calls us to have Ruth in our lives. And sometimes God calls you to be Ruth. And you might be saying, ah, I'm listening to this and, and I'm just kind of at the beginning and I don't really think I need, I'm just gonna hang on to the thought and choose to hang with people because really I don't need God. Or maybe you're here and you're on the more spiritual part of the, the paradigm and you're saying, you know what, I really need God, but if truth, were to be told, I don't really need people. Both of those people are wrong. The Bible clearly talks about the fact that we are needing to support one another, to bury, bear one another's burdens. So you have Terah, who hung on to his grief. You have David, who hung on to God. And you have Ruth, who hung on to God and people. Hey, what's your story? What's your story of the comeback from grief, the comeback from hurt, heart, heartache? Even as I'm telling you this story, I would imagine that there may have been one story that came up in your life where you really felt some hurt. You really felt a lot of pain. I remember about 15 years ago, probably now, that um, I was the end of one pastoral position and God had provided uh, an opportunity and I was, folks, I was absolutely convinced that this is the way God was telling me to go. I was convinced, my wife was convinced and, and so we went and pursued in a particular area and what we thought happened would happen, the exact opposite happened of what we expected. And in those times, sometimes you think, well, things will get better, things will get better, you need to be patient, you know, you need to, you need to kind of have faith. But it got worse and it worse. And then at a time where I thought it hit the bottom, it went even deeper. Ever have that happen? And so you hit that bottom, and then you all of a sudden find out that there is a floor which is lower than that. And, and it was a prolonged time and I remember feeling the hurt and the heartache and, and the thing was this, I remember feeling that God has broken some kind of deal with me. No, he never did. But when we go through that low of a journey, that kind of part in us which believes that God wouldn't allow something like that to happen to us, happens to us. And, and we feel it's at the very least God owes us some kind of explanation. And to add on top of that, during that time, 
Do you think I could actually get in contact with God? It was almost though he took his bags and he kind of packed and went away. Again, that wasn't true, but it certainly felt like it at the time. And I remember fighting bitterness and abandonment and bewilderness. And sometimes it's just the confusion of heartbreak that kind of gets us at our, our worst. And I had no answers in the time when I needed them most. I was lost and hurt and heartbreak. And maybe that resonates with you. You find yourself lost and hurt and heartbreaking. I did not know. Folks, I'm telling you right now, being as open as I possibly can, I did not know how to find my way back. I was lost. And so you say, well, you're here. Must have found your way back. Yeah, I did. I did. And I can sit and tell you all the things that had taken place, but I remember two things specifically. One was this, I didn't leave the family of God. I still kept coming to church. And there were many times, I'll tell you this, that I didn't feel like coming to church. There were many times where I pouted my way through church. Ever done that? I can tell for sure that some of you, either that or there's something wrong with the expression on your face, I don't know. I pouted my way through church. The other thing was this, I had friends, I had people in my life that refused to let me go. They refused to let me go. Even though there may have been times where I was a little prickly, even though there was times where I was pushing back, they said, no, we're hanging on to you. We're hanging on to you. Just like Naomi said, listen, go, get away, get away. Ruth says, no, absolutely not. I'm cleaving myself to you. We're gonna get through this. Those people, those people. And they held on to me long enough for God to begin a healing and a recovery in my life. Time for the journey back for those of you who are hurting, those who need healing, those who are heartbroken. And I don't have a clue what your heartbreak is, all I know is that we serve a God who will be there if you allow him to. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for any person who is here physically who is going through heartbreak and that heartbreak has stopped them. I pray, God, that you will reveal yourself to them today and put the right people in their lives and God move in their lives. And maybe, God, there are people who are listening online to this message right now and the Spirit of God has arrested them and say, hey, I'm talking about you. It's time to hand that heartbreak to me. It's time to hand that situation, that, that time where you were beat up, that time where you were left for dead, that time where you were rejected. It's time to give it to me because I want to do something great. I want to fulfill a legacy in you. I want you to fulfill the calling in your life. And so God, just pray for the presence of God. Ask God that you will move. Pray for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.